Welcome back to the Yacht Rock Podcast out of the main. I am your co-host, Tom, and with me is John. I am here. What up? All aboard. Here we go. <laughs> well, today we are going to build the Mount Rushmore of Yacht Rock. Very popular convention, whether you're yeah. talking about sports or entertainment, like movie icons. But, of course, we could apply that convention to Yacht Rock. And so um, we're going to go through our Mount Rushmore. We're going to pick our four icons that belong on the Mount Rushmore of Yacht Rock. And we're going to do it in two rounds. The first round, no rules. Anyone you want. Um, we suspect that there might be a significant amount of overlap. Right. And if there is, it's because we're all picking kind of the most – I don't think we're trying to be obscure here. We're trying no, to – this is your, like, most recognizable. And so we thought it would be also fun to then wipe the board into a whole nother round where you cannot repeat any position. So in other words, you can't have four front men. Right. You can't have four guitarists or four drummers. So you can only have one of each. Right. So that might be where things get a little interesting. So why don't we jump right in, and what we'll do is we'll go one position at a time, and then I guess if you go and I have that person as well, maybe I'll let you know that they're on my list as well, and we'll go one at a time. Okay. Do you want to start? That Kick us good. off. Who's the George Washington of uh, yeah. Yacht Rock? To me, it begins always with the captain of all yachts everywhere, <laughs> and that's got to be Michael McDonald. I think that he is probably the number one mainstay that everybody feels that they that everything goes back to him in some way. Yeah. Of course, Michael McDonald is on my list um, for so many reasons. But the um, what I'm, I'm amazing to me about Michael McDonald's, I'm still discovering music where he's the backing vocals. Yeah. And I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. So when I first started listening to Yacht Rock, I would hear like a Christopher Cross song and I'm like, my God, that's got to be Kenny or um, Michael McDonald in the background. Sure enough, it is. But we just listened to, you referenced the Patty Austin song, Baby Come to Me. Right. You know, he's doing backing mm-hmm. vocals in that. Right. You could kind of I barely I didn't know hear that, it. but I can hear it now. You yeah. So for sure, Michael McDonald, like you said, he's the captain. Um, he's got the, he's recognizable for the voice, recognizable and influential for the keyboard playing. Right. Um, had his own solo career and also recognizable because he got his roots his start as a session guy doing session backup vocalist particularly you know for steely dan so he's done all of the roles that we think are essential yep and even a song like peg which now that i know it's him it's like of course that's michael mcdonald but i didn't realize it until you shared with me that video that's on youtube about the making of peg which is something Mm -hmm. that people should go check out and they isolate his vocal track it sounds really weird and dissonant yeah and I now I focus on it opposite the you know the just the melody line which is this peg but then you hear this, ah, ooh, yeah. ooh, ooh. well they talked about how uh, well, Michael talks about remembering that first of all he had never been asked to sing such dense chords before where the notes are so close together mm-hmm. so you got all this tension going on but also they didn't want him just harmonizing the lead vocal and singing every word so he would just be accenting certain words in the phrase so if you yeah. take away the lead vocal that's gluing it all together, it's just this word, this word, that word, just pop it out, and it's really odd by itself. Yeah. 
well, he had such a distinctive sound, both his keyboard playing and his voice. And then for better or for worse, I would say for better, you know, he t- totally transformed a band that already had a catalog and a reputation and a sound. And there's two eras, certainly, of the Doobie Brothers. Yes. But, I mean, he was able to not only transform that band, but then lay the groundwork in partnering with these other guys, uh, specifically, I think, of like Kenny Loggins, yeah. and just change the sound. And now looking back retroactively, as we do when we're applying the Yacht Rock moniker, it's like that's the sound. It's the Michael McDonald song. It really is. And the songs that he's written as well, a lot of them co-written, like you say, with Kenny Loggins, are the ones that people point to as yep. being, though, the, that's what Yacht Rock is. You know, right. this is it. It's a perfect example. Exactly. You know? All right. So no surprise there. We both had Michael right. McDonald. I'll go next okay. um, because I think I have somebody who also will be no surprise and potentially on your list. So, um, and that is Kenny Loggins, who we just referenced. Indeed, I do. Yeah. So Kenny Loggins almost has to be. I think that the people who coined the term, they have a like a don't they have a criteria of what is yacht rock and what is not? And one of the rules yeah. is it has to either have Michael McDonald or Kenny Loggins. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. yeah. But those are certainly the the people that everything grows off of their roots. Yeah. What's interesting is he had a whole catalog that predates yacht rock that I think most people are more forgiving of that pre yacht rock era catalog than they would be, say, with early Doobie Brothers. It, like the Loggins and Messina yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know, people don't apologize for putting that in their yacht rock list because there's something just about Kenny Loggins that we're just like, eh, it's not not overthink it. It's yacht yeah, rock. Yeah, and they've got the full sail album where they're on a big sailboat on the cover of the record, right. you know, and and they've got songs about sailing La, La Haya on there, you know, and so yeah, at least they dabbled into that. And how do you, you know? say Viva La or something like that? Viva La, Viva La, Homeward Sailor, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yep. so there you go. It's yacht rock, right? And even Danny's song is yeah. 1970, and it doesn't have any of the elements that you would consider yacht rock, but it's just a feel thing. It's like that's yacht rock. And I go all the way up to, but probably stopping at "I'm All Right," um, which was the You're year. Not including "Danger Zone" in your yacht. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we just got the explicit tag because yeah. I said hell no. Um, no, that's he obviously had a turning point there yeah. and never came back. But um, I, I know it's not Yacht Rock, but I'm all right. It's such a good tune and it's got mm-hmm. such an uh, interesting drum beat and that it, it's from Caddyshack. Is there a more iconic movie right. of the era than yes. Caddyshack? So, yeah, and there's a lot of yachts in that, right? Yeah. That's so, where the hoi polloi comes from. Exactly. Okay. So if you've been hearing us right, say I mean. ahoy polloi, it's from, uh, who's the guy that eats Spalding. Spalding, yeah. Right. <laughs> Ahoy, play. He's wearing a captain's outfit when he, when he says it with, yeah. a, with the hat, and a, right? And yes. the ascot and everything. Yep. Oh my gosh! Uh, so that is very yachty. Yep. So Kenny Loggins. So no surprise. And again, this is why we're okay. going to wipe the board and do it all over again. Because what if we have a complete match? We're two for two. We could. All right, let's all right. go with I'll number go three. Third, Who's then. your third on Mount Rushmore? I, it, it would be hard to imagine one without Christopher Cross. <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it, I would say that Christopher Cross. Because of the song Sailing, as we've talked about, is is just a no-brainer. But in reality, it's not like Christopher Cross had this huge discography of material. And really, it's about two albums yeah. that he had that were are both great albums. There's no question. And they, they sound, you know, everything that we want to say about Yacht Rock is in them. But it's not as though he's a five, six, eight album deep kind of guy in the in the genre. Well, and I would say it's probably a handful of songs even, you know, when you get to that tight that list of say 200 songs that say Sirius will play. There's Sailing, there's Ride Like the Wind probably. Yep. Yep. I'm just I'm looking up my list and consulting my notes, but it's not you may even look of course by the way it's the iconic album cover with the plink mingle. Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. he just gets it just because of that. 
Um, so yeah, never be the same. Ride like the wind. Sailing. I mean, are there a, a ton of others outside of that that I, I referenced on our last? Um, People put Arthur's theme in there. Yes. But, yep. And but I get that's what I say. It's not as though it's just dozens of songs. It's really a small collection. But there's no question that those are in. And I think I do think that the the cover because even on the second album they revisit the flamingo thing again. So it's kind of the reason I put Pablo Cruz in there. All you got to do is look at the cover. <laughs> yeah, and you know when the uh, music sounds yeah. like the cover, like you did, said in the yacht jazz episode. Yeah, about Spyro Spyro Jara. Yeah. Yep. Then you know you've uh, you've. You pulled you got, something you got off. It right. And I also had Christopher Crawl okay. Cross. And on the previous episode to this, I found a buried treasure. To me, is a buried treasure, and that was "Love Is Love," parenthetically in any language, by Christopher Cross, which truly does sound like yacht rock. Mm-hmm. So it's not like sailing, or it's not like um, you know Arthur's song, even which you know Arthur's theme doesn't really sound yachty to me. But I'm surprised you picked a parenthetical. I know how much that you don't it, like parenthetical titles. It is a pet peeve. It's it's good enough to include in the title. Just include it in the title. Okay. So, anyways, but yeah, I had Christopher Cross for all the reasons we talked. So are we going to be four for four? That's a good question. I think we might veer here. Okay. Diverge. You go. It's bold of me to say so right before my prediction. The fourth member of Mount Rushmore, I think, has to be, and we can get in a fight if you don't have him on here. Donald Fagan. Oh. That's not your fourth? It is not. It is not. Because I think the st- – talk about a deep, wide catalog of Steely Dan that <clears throat> he's got – or they've got, I should say, the a few songs that probably don't sound yachty at all, mm-hmm. particularly early in the career. But um, most of the bulk of the stuff that is, I think, most highly regarded all sounds yacht rocky to me. It's got all of the elements that we've talked about, and then he has a solo. He being Donald Fagan has a solo rec- career after Stevie yeah. Dan era, and a lot of that stuff, like the Nightfly stuff, that's all Yacht Rocky. So I feel like if you don't include Donald Fagan on the Mount Rushmore, you've made a mistake. Well, I guess I did then, because mm-hmm. I decided that um, that the sound of Yacht Rock is so unique. The meticulous recording, it's a studio experience, and... And it's as much about production as any other style of music has ever been reliant on a good producer and good recording. So I went with Jay Graydon. I mean, Jay Graydon, uh, how does he not be on yours? You know, yes. it would be my right. question. If well, I was first, sp- I would have said, how can you not have Jay Graydon? For right. all and those I can't reasons. argue with yeah. that. So, but there's only four spots. So, But that's why we have a second round. That's to, why we have a second round. The last thing I'll say on Donald Fagan is that, you know, you mentioned that over time he was working more in the booth. Um, and he and mm-hmm. uh, his partner in crime, Walter Becker, were more in the booth. And maybe not producing, because they had producers and engineers doing that work, but f- sort of being the creative. They kind of had to be producing, even though yeah. they're not credited that way, right? Right, exactly. I, you know, the creative consultant, certainly, or the creative uh, director. Um, yeah, they have Gary Katz, you know, listed as producer, but he was much more the recording engineer, yeah. you know. Of course, there was Roger Nichols, too, who did a lot of technical stuff. But so anyway, but I would call them the producers in my mind. And one of the staples of the genre is this um, collection of session cats that come together to form the band, which is a lot of the Steely Dan stuff is different guys. Um, Certainly Jay Graydon's comes in a lot, but then you get all these other guys. And I feel like for that reason, Mm -hmm. that's an argument both for Jay Graydon and for Donald Fagan. So. I don't think you can go wrong with either. What we could do is create a fifth head. That's what they're talking about. <laughs> but I don't think that's a good idea in real life, nor in the Yacht Rock. Yes, Mount I agree. Okay, so we were pretty consistent, which I thought we would be, and I thought if we were going to diverge, it would be in that fourth spot. 
and I hit a lot of other names that I could have considered. So do you want to? Yeah, wipe we them might more? hit those. Yeah, you know, so we might hit those in the second round. So let's not yeah. delve into them yet. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So yeah, we'll wipe the board clean and say, okay, now we're still going to pick four, but you have to sort of say sort of what role they play. And you can't have four, like you say, four front men yeah. you know, four lead, you know, or four producers. You want to kind of slot them into something. They have to have different roles in that. And so as a summation, they would not just be the you know four big heads, but also kind of cover all the different aspects of maybe Yacht Rock, what yep. puts it together. So so I have a process right. question for you. Okay. <clears throat> so like the previous episode where we built the super group and we had a flex player, that was kind of a fit. We borrowed from fantasy football. Right. My question for you is, is this second round of Mount Rushmore a keeper league? Meaning, can I keep someone oh, yeah. from that? Oh, oh okay. yeah, definitely. And so my first question to you then is, did you have a keeper from the four that you originally quoted? I had two keepers. Two keepers. Two keepers. Oh, you were allowed to, though, because you didn't pick four front men where I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, let's start with the keepers, and I'll start with my keeper after hearing your All first right. keeper. My first keeper, um, again, the captain of yachts everywhere is Michael McDonald. I, I, I could not sway away from that, and I'm going to call him my front man. Okay. So that that's kind of the role that he's playing. So imagine how difficult it was for me to pick amongst those four for a keeper. Because you had, how do you not choose Michael McDonald? I think it was easier for me to not choose Christopher Cross because of what we just talked about with the mm-hmm. catalog being smaller. Same. Although uh, he definitely belongs on the first Mount Rushmore. So now it's like, um, it, it may be of the four, maybe the weakest argument, which is why we diverged, would be Donald Fagan. So now I'm sitting here choosing between the captain of the, the boat and Kenny Loggins. Right. Which one do you think I kept? Well, see, it's this whole trick question thing. (laughs) You're going to get the reverse psychology. I'm going to think that you maybe kept Kenny Loggins. I did keep Kenny Loggins. Not because I didn't want to keep Michael McDonald's, just because there's so much of his voice that is, again, it's it's not any more recognizable than Michael McDonald's, certainly, but it's just so good. And probably what I referenced earlier is that, you know, he's got this career that because the full catalog is so good that – he gets like some leeway. A song from 1970 yeah. gets in. He has more vocal range too, yeah. than what Michael can do. Yeah, and if you were, if you weren't that much of a student of music, you could be forgiven for saying um, Michael McDonald's a one-trick pony. He's the yeah. falsetto voice and the yeah. blink, blink, blink keyboard. Yeah, and some people still call him the guy that ruined the Doobie Brothers. You know? Yeah, it's like, okay, right. but right. still, it's a matter of perspective. Agreed. Um, Okay, so that's my keeper was Kenny Loggins. Okay. Your keeper, one of your keepers. Was Michael McDonald. McDonald. So I'll hit with my other keeper, which was Jay Graydon. Okay. So I slot Jay Graydon in um, as a producer. Um, To me, you know, he produced that definitive sound, whether it's Al Jarreau Records or Manhattan Transfer, Mark Jordan. And he had that E-Rhodes that I just love so much that was essential to his production. And I think all of that 
the way that uh, his stuff was mixed, to me, it defines sonically what Yacht Rock is. So I need to have Jay Graydon in there. And then, of course, you know, if I need to rip a guitar solo because Lukather didn't show up, okay, fine. See, now you're cheating. Yeah, well, Lukather wasn't known to not show up. He was he was good about showing yeah, up. So I, I guess I should retract that. Yeah, <laughs> he would show up and then some. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, very good. I think you may have just teased one of your other Mount Rushmore dudes, but um, I'm going to steal your thunder then. Because at guitar, mm-hmm. I went with Steve Lukather as my second on my Mount Rushmore. All right. Because of everything we talked about on previous episodes, for one, just prolific is maybe only second to Jeff Beccaro. And we're not even we're sure not even he was sure second. That, but yeah. yeah. The full range that extended even outside of typical yacht rock. So when he's playing for Quincy and stuff like that. Um, the think, ver- think of how many more records they would have played on had they not been in a band of their own that went on tour right. once in a while. Yeah. And that were at one point probably became their focus, I'm guessing, because they started to actually achieve critical acclaim and fame for who they were as opposed to being the yeah, backing band. Right. So I'm sure that took a – yeah, but yeah. Um, so Steve Lukather almost belongs on the original mm-hmm. Mount Rushmore, but it was hard to kick anyone else off. And because most people don't know Steve Lukather the way that you do, say, um, they might not just even know who he is. But once you start studying and then you look at the catalog of everything he played on um, – He's definitely got to be on the secondary Mount Rushmore. So that's my okay. second. Okay, so... Um, We've got two slots filled for you. Uh, yep. Two keepers. I've, yes, those are two keepers. So now I will move on to the two. I'll give you one of the two that are new. And one of those is David Foster. And I'm not hmm. keeping him as a producer, so he doesn't necessarily do the same role as Jay Graydon. But Cheater. David Foster w- was so influential in the people around him. He raised... They talk about how difficult he was to work with and maybe how arrogant he is and all that stuff. But he raised the bar of what was expected from a recording session and a mix and the quality of a finished product. He wrote so many songs and arranged so many songs. So I'm bringing in David Foster as an arranger, a writer, and just a general to me, he's one of the biggest behind-the-scenes influences of that entire era. And I had no idea until we started doing this, the extent to which that was true. My th- recollection of David Foster was producing Chicago. He's the guy that ruined Chicago. He's the guy that ruined <laughs> Chicago, perhaps, right. So, like, I had a bad taste in my mouth yeah. about him. And I know he was a prolific songwriter as well, and his songwriting was very melodic, sort of big anthem-type ballads. And over time, that just got to be played out for me. Um, not because it wasn't good, but it was because, like, man, he's really good at it, but it's over and over again. Just kind of my feel. And again, yeah. I'm younger than you. Mm-hmm. And then if you're younger than me, even, then you might know David Foster only as the husband of Catherine McPhee from <laughs> yeah. American Idol. Yeah. And so he, now he's appearing on all these talk shows as the pianist right. to Catherine McPhee, which right. he's obviously much more than that. So that's interesting. So that's a good pick. That's a really good pick because now that I know how much he worked with some of these artists before ruining Chicago, uh, <laughs> Gave me a whole new appreciation for him. Yeah, he's just so influential. And I kind of heard the same thing about the ego thing too. So I, you know, I don't have to work with these guys. They're just you know carving them into a rock. Yeah, yeah. So he wouldn't be well, not my... them. You're you're not carving the actual person. Well, just their yeah, likeness, right. right? And we got to might be murder. Yeah, and I don't know how we're going to erase the presidents before we do this. Maybe we'll just mm-hmm. do it next to them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was your 
My third. third. So you have. And so for my third, I don't know how you can have a Mount Rushmore with not the architect of the the sound in some ways. And that is Jeff Percaro, your hero. Okay. Yep. Is he on your list? Yeah, he's my number four. He so, is. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, we yeah. agree. Jeff Picaro, just the sound. I mean, I'm recognizing it more and more on, as we talked about, exploring new music. You know, you might find a very deep cut on Yacht Rock Miami, that a song you never heard by an artist you never heard of, and then you go and you look up the personnel, mm-hmm. and sure enough, Jeff Picaro. And we talk so much about how Yacht Rock has a very specific feel to it. And it's not necessarily just the halftime shuffle grooves and no. the, that. But it... You always go back to what has this feel, this groove about it. And if you weren't, if it wasn't Jeff Percaro, it was somebody there because Jeff maybe was on tour, but they wanted the Jeff Percaro thing, you yeah. know? So there were guys that we talked about Steve Gadd, and there are other guys. That, I'm not saying they copied him or played like him, but he established what that drumming in that genre was supposed to feel like. And that created this, I think it started to create the sound that all the other instruments kind of played off of, which is he had the equal ability to just stay in the pocket when he needed to, Mm -hmm. um, do a really tasty fill when he had to, maybe do something really um, over the top in, you know, a drum fill leading up to the course. Very Rosanna. small doses, though. That's what yes. was so cool about and it. That's, yeah, exactly. He never felt like he was trying to overtake the sound, right. but he was creating a sound. And most of the time, I think the beauty is in the, just when he lays back and then when he finally finds a moment, maybe just to add a little... To tap, yeah, to speak. Well, yes, so to speak. exactly. So he's, I mean, from a just production and music i'm sorry musicianship standpoint he needs to be on the mount rushmore so you had him as well so now we're through all of your four right we're down to my fourth one which my question on the keeper league thing is can i take michael mcdonald the session cat not the front man yeah okay i think you can so that's how i would steal that okay if you were to say no to that all right i had a couple backups (laughs) and you'll laugh at who the backups are one is David Foster, <laughs> and the other one is Jay Graydon. Okay. So either way, we got— Well, I like the idea of Michael McDonald as a session guy because it goes to his roots and stuff, and it, that ties in the whole Steely Dan thing yes. that you talked about with Donald Fagan. Um, so and it's it's funny because even on the, the Katie Lyde album in the um, jacket, in the, the art, is here the sleeve or on the back cover where they show little— Polaroids of all the different members, and they actually show Michael McDonald singing into a mic as a member of the group. So, I mean, by that album, he was considered a member of the group, but purely as background vocalist. Right. Yep. And we should, because we talked <laughs> talked about David Foster ruining Chicago, we talked about Michael McDonald ruining Doobie Brothers. Which we did not. Right. But, yeah, we talked about We talked it, about the fact that people say that. It's all sarcastic. But yeah. we should defend him specifically because he was a reluctant frontman. He wanted to be the session guy who sat in the back, added the harmonies, did the keyboard playing. And so the people who say, oh, he came in and he took over the Doobie Brothers, that's not historically accurate. No, it's not. It's He, he was a little bit reluctant about... Uh, even presenting material that he had written, it was he was under the understanding that he was being brought in to take over the lead vocal duties from Tom Johnston, right? Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, they're like, "Well, what do you got to songs?" You right. know, and I think he was a little bit like taken aback by that, and somewhat, um, you know, humbly played some of the stuff. And, I mean, right out of the shoot, the first album, you know, it's got taking it to the streets and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it keeps you running. I mean, so he's just, he's got these gems already, but it, it isn't as though he came in and said, okay, guys, this is my show. We're going to, 
we're going to change this. In fact, I always point to Patrick Simmons, who was one of the lead guitarists uh, during the rock and roll era and transition, stayed with the band throughout. And if you want to hear proof that Michael McDonald wasn't at least the sole person driving them into that blue-eyed soul area, listen to Arcade, which is Patrick Simmons' solo record. Mm. And... Of course, he has Michael McDonald singing on that. But that, outside of a couple of rockers that almost don't fit, they kind of sound like, well, the record label told him he needs a rocker, you know, because it's like Mm -hmm. beginning of side one and side two have these rockers. (laughs) But the rest of the record sounds like, definitely like the Michael McDonald Doobie Brothers stuff. So clearly, Patrick Simmons going off doing his solo work wasn't saying, hey, I want to play more guitar solos. I want to rock out more. I want to be featured that way. No, he went the opposite direction and said, I want to do... This cool thing too, because well, it had like this bluesy is not the right word, but it was almost like um, it incorporated elements of what was happening, sort of in the R and B and the funk yeah. thing. Yeah. So it, it meshed that with Southern rock from the Doobie Brothers, and it was this whole thing. I'm, I'm sure it just caught the world by storm, and that's why people wanted to sort of emulate it. But I'm guessing he also didn't want to play his originals for the Doobie Brothers because he's probably thinking, well, my stuff doesn't fit in this band. <laughs> yeah, initially he would probably think that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can hear some of them they liked so much that the, even the original drum machine stuff that he used that he recorded his demos against actually made the final tracks. You know, I mm. think of the song it keeps you running starts off with that little, you know, $20 drum machine sounding thing and they built on top of that. They kept it in. So yeah. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, they weren't ready to do something different and they all had the chops to do it too so who invited him in was it the label i don't know all of that so i wonder if it was a label driven thing that like this guy's on everyone's record now and let's put him with this super group and i do know that you you've already got skunk baxter in the doobie brothers who of course was with michael mcdonald and steely dan Mm -hmm. and you do see victor feldman who we mentioned before a vibes player that played on a ton of steely dan stuff now he's showing up on Doobie Brothers records. So there had to be probably some sort of relationship, it would seem, between Steely Dan and the Doobie Brothers that made this happen. I don't know. Love it if somebody uh, wanted to send us a line and tell us what they know. Yep. And you can email us, by the way, at yachtrockpodcast at gmail.com. So, and of course, comment on any of our Facebook posts. But um, last thing on this is one more, and then the defense will rest for Michael McDonald, is the producer was the same producer between the two eras, or at least overlapped. It, what was yeah. the producer? Ted uh, Templeman. And he, he changed the sound every bit as much he had as to. Michael right. McDonald did. Yeah, they went from being a southern rock band, and um, you could even really hear it in the drums. You know, the drums went from being a very tight, um, tight snare, tight rock kit sound. A lot of times they did dual drummers. You'd hear one in the left, one in the right channel, and great interplay. And they still did some of that later on, but the sounds became so much warmer and softer. And it, it so this isn't something that, that the drummer decided them to tune my drums differently. It was mm-hmm. as much about that as well as how is he going to play them and how are they going to be recorded, which a lot of that is producer driven. Yep. You know, well, it'll be interesting to see like, you mentioned the fact that there was a tour with all, with the, um, with both lead singers, Kevin, both. Mc, yeah. yeah Michael cool Donald and Tom Johnston, and Tom Jones. Yeah. And they're going on tour. They were supposed to go on tour, but it got canceled or postponed because of COVID. That'll be a, yeah, tour I forget who their warm up act was supposed to be too. It's someone else that would have been cool. Might've been Rick Springfield. Field or something. Oh. It was a really interesting hmm. bill. Cool. Good. Well, well, there was a lot of overlap, no matter how we sliced it, um, which stands to reason. It does. Yep. So, But people might have other ideas. Yeah. And, and I'd love to hear that, too. Exactly. Again, tell John where he got it wrong. Yeah. Well, we know. <laughs> you already told me. Yeah. 
Um, all right, well, no time like the present. Let's move into the lightning round. Yeah, lightning round. And um, this will be, even though I did my preparation in advance, I didn't know where this conversation was going to go. So it's kind of interesting that my yacht or not question for you does refer to Kenny Loggins. Oh, uh-oh. And um, it kind of branches off of the conversation that a lot of these artists have significant periods where they're in the yacht, but not many of them are their entire catalog. Yep. You know, uh, you might be able to make that case about Michael McDonald, I suppose. Uh, but some of these artists, and Kenny Loggins is one that um, certainly later on was no longer doing the yacht thing. And so this was one that's maybe right on the cusp because it comes from an album that has several yacht songs. Big hit that he did with Steve Perry. Don't fight it. Okay, so that song, it's on the, like you said, it's on the record, this guy. Yeah, High Adventure, rock. right. So, but if I listen to that song, that doesn't sound a thing like Yacht Rock to me. So no, I, it doesn't. I was, I was kind of teasing yeah. with that. Yeah, well, I'm sorry, Kenny, that is a not for me. Yeah, I agree that it, that's yeah. a not. But you can start to see where Kenny was starting to move towards the footloose sound in that. You know, it's got that guitar in there. Um, it's definitely a rock shuffle thing. It's it's not yacht rock at yeah. all. But like I said, it's pointing to okay, just because you're on Mount Rushmore doesn't mean that everything you did is yacht. For sure. For sure. And here's I'm gonna hit you with an artist that I think you might like, but I'm almost convinced for sure you don't consider it to be yacht rock. But I think I found a song that belongs. So let me ask you first, the artist. Okay. And just tell me your gut. James Taylor? No. Okay. No, okay. I, that's what I thought. What about the song, Whenever I See Your Smiling Face? Whenever I see your smiling face, I have to smile myself. That is one that comes up a lot, yeah. Um, I think I would give that one a yes. Um, I'm not overall a big James Taylor fan, so I can't allow my any negativity to make that decision. But I feel like that song has a lot of yacht rock elements. Yep. And so I would not... Uh, certainly judge anybody for having that one on there. Yep, I, I I think it's Yacht for sure, and I agree that the artist overall is not, but listen to the bass line again, and listen to the um, that, that bouncy back and forth keyboards that they got going on, and it just, it sounds like, um, it sounds like Yacht Rock. And there's, he's got a couple that are on the fringe, I think that one for sure belongs in the Yacht category. Okay. So. Very good. Well, I'm dying to hear your uh, Buried Treasure, so why don't you go first? Okay, Buried Treasure. This was uh, something that uh, from it's actually 1983, so it's it's in the uh, in the parameters. Somebody posted this in one of the yacht rock groups, and I swear I probably haven't heard this song since 1984. But this is an absolute gem. Certainly, an artist that you don't think yacht rock, Sergio Mendez, <laughs> and the song is Alibis. It's everything that a Yacht Rock song needs to be. I hear your alibis are watertight. That is, well, that, first of all, that is Yacht Rock. <clears throat> but um, I would not have had Sergio Mendez on my Yacht Rock radar. So that's an interesting buried treasure. Okay, sure. well, it's it was produced by Sergio Mendez and Robbie Buchanan, who was in um, Maxis. And he was also a, a session keyboard player who played for Christopher Cross, Linda Ronstadt, Ray Parker Jr., Leo Sayer, a few others. So, I mean, Robbie was certainly in that thread of musicians that uh, knew the sound. Yep, for sure. Okay, well, I have a buried treasure. And this 
really speaks volumes about our previous episode, which is, how do I not know the song? It's brand new to me. It's definitely Yacht Rock. It's from 1979 um, or 1978, actually. It, it, I'm going to give you the song. You can hear a taste of it. You'll be. I'm sure you're going to agree this is Buried Treasure. And then i got to go back to the personnel because it's crazy. The name of the song is It's the Falling in Love by Carol Bayer Sager. Yeah, you, you sent me this one. That was one I did not know. I know the name Carol Bear Sager as a songwriter, uh, yes. but I did not know this one. She was a prolific songwriter, apparently. I did not know, so looking her up, first of all, the song was also recorded by Michael Jackson. Did you know that? Um, Only after looking it up after yep. you sent it to me. With vocals, got vocals by Patty Austin, uh, on Off the Wall, which yeah. I had no idea. Um, Carol Bayer Sager wrote it with David Foster. Here we go. Okay. And then On the my per- Mount Rushmore. Yeah, exactly. Um, the song itself, I believe, if not the album, features backup vocals by Michael McDonald and Bill Champlin. Mm-hmm. And let's see. Um, David so- Foster plays synthesizer and rhythm arrangement. Mm-hmm. So it's got Jerry Hay does the horn arrangement. So it's all <laughs> yep. the same guys. Everybody, yep. Um, and this is the – I'm quoting the Wikipedia page. It's somewhat unclear as to which personnel they're attributing to the Michael Jackson version and which to the Carol Bayer Sager version. Okay. So because they list the bass guitarist as Louis, Louis Johnson, who was the bass player on Off the Wall. Yeah. So, um, and then the producer, Quincy Jones, which is not the producer of the Carol Bayer Sager. Anyways, definitely a hidden gem, a, a buried treasure. You can find that both on Michael Jackson or the artist that I reference, which is my personal favorite. So – that's what I got. All right. We got one more segment, and that's the off-the-map selection, and I'm going to let you go first on this one. Okay. You shouldn't have, because I'm way off the map. Oh, boy. <clears throat> this song is from post-2000. It's by an artist you would never consider Yacht Rocky. The song itself isn't really in any way yachty, so I might get my hand slapped for this. <laughs> but when you listen to it, it's got this cool, smooth vibe. And the song is written about just walking to the water, listening to a band from Atlantis, which I'm assuming is the Bahamas, um, and just having a perfect, as the title suggests, One Lovely Day by an artist named Citizen Cope. Move to the sounds of the band from Atlantis, oh, one lovely day, one wow. So again, not yachty, but it would well, fit it's got right the in the halftime shuffle going, and it's got the you know, high string bed, the strings, you know, and just the subject matter. The is subject just matter. nice, and easy, and breezy. So I, it's going to fit in very to, good. to the mix. So. Yes. What do you got that's off the map? Well, my off the map comes from um, we actually spent a fair amount of time talking about this album on the, the last episode. So maybe this doesn't come from as far off the map as before. But uh, we talked about that Dane Donahue album and all of the great yacht rock players that were on that. And I w- so I decided to look up the official yacht ski scale rating of any of the Dane Donahue stuff. What and is the yacht ski scale? Really? The yacht ski scale is, um, I, from what I understand, it's the guys that made the original yacht rock docuseries. And they have this list of all this, these songs. Um, it's a vast list. And each one gives it a rating. And um, I think it's was it four or five different guys giving ratings, and so they come up with a composite number by combining all those ratings, averaging them out, and it's a scale of one to a hundred. And so anything that 
averages out to above 50 is considered a yacht song, and anything that is below 50 is a nyat. Which I've had so, a couple quibbles with songs on either side of that bar, but anyway. So they clearly see this album as yachty because a couple of the deeper cuts off of it can't be seen, got an 85, wow. and Woman got an 81.5. So those are high ratings. But to me, the song that defines the album right out of the gate is Casablanca. And, and, and so there's something interesting about just using the term Casablanca that takes you maybe, uh, you know, the bogey and Bacall kind of thing, right? Absolutely. You know, uh, takes you into that area. But that song is not even listed on the Yatsky scale. And I'm not entirely sure how they came up with the overall what songs are we going to rate and which ones are we not going to rate. But to me, that was the feature song on the record. And since it wasn't on that scale, I want to put it in there. And it's a gorgeous song on a gorgeous record. Yep. Opposite some other gorgeous songs, too. I'm not going to list any of them now because I might want to pull them out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, yeah, that's a great record. So, cool. Um, well, we've hit through our lightning round. We are through episode, whatever episode we're at. Six. Six, yeah. So we've made it this far to, to out of the main. Uh, again, check us out at YachtRockPodcast.com. If you want to give our Facebook page a follow, you can follow that at YachtRockPodcast or on Twitter at YachtRockPod. Other than that, I think we can bid each other a fond adieu and see each other on the next episode. We'll find ahoy, Poloy.